Hey entrepreneurs and website owners, if you're ready to take your online presence to the next level, you need a reliable web host. And that's where HostGator comes in. HostGator is your one-stop solution for easy, affordable, and powerful web hosting. Whether you're launching a blog, an online store, or anything in between, HostGator's got you covered. Don't miss out on creating the website you've always wanted. Visit foxcitiesmm.com slash HostGator today and let your journey begin. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we've got some news, I guess, about this podcast. Yeah. I don't know if I would... You almost said good. bad news. Yeah. You almost said bad news. Uh, the good news is... I've got a tasty beverage, um, but the but the bad news. Uh, well, it's, I don't know if it's bad news, but the if for any of our serious listeners, it's probably bad news. Yes, um, we are going to be phasing out Fox City's murder and mayhem, guaranteed at least up to the end of the year, normal episodes. Uh, so for the next couple months, there'll be no difference. After that. As of right now, the plan is not to just completely stop, but it'll be sporadic. So, you know, keep your subscription going, and when we right. drop a new episode, it'll show up. But it's more or less when I stumble upon a story, we'll tell the story. Um, so, you know, you might go a month or two or not hear something. You might hear something twice a month, three times a month. Who knows? <laughs> so, uh, but it but it won't be you cannot count on us being your regular wake up Tuesday morning get your coffee kind of thing anymore. Yes, after the new year. Unfortunately, it's just gotten to be too much to jingle all the different podcasts and have ideas for topics and everything ready every week. So yeah, um, I do plan on just so everybody knows that I will be releasing. I'm going to go back and dig in our archives, and, and so at the beginning of the year, you'll still see stuff coming through, but most of it's going to be probably reruns of what we had previously mm. recorded, so you will see that, but yeah, and then we'll just put put out some, whenever Gavin gets a couple stories together, we'll probably just put out a bunch of episodes. Yeah, once. yeah. So. Let's say, I guess the good news is that, in theory, I'll be spending more time on the Milwaukee Mafia, so... Uh, if you're a listener of that podcast, which you probably are, maybe it'll get better. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? He's not promising that. No, I mean, I mean, let's keep our expectations low. But in in theory, because I've still got, I mean, I've got dozens of FBI files I haven't typed notes up out of. So um, if I could focus on that, I mean, there might even be stories that I don't know that we're going to tell. Uh, that So, you know, who knows? That, that podcast could go anywhere. Yeah. And if somebody does want to step up and has a story that they want to tell on Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, I'd be happy to get together with a person and we could do an episode all of your own if you have a story mm. that we haven't covered. So that's an open option. You can send an inquiry for that to MilwaukeeMafia at com, and we can get that ball rolling. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I would sit in on that. It's, it's, not, it's not so much that I don't have the time. It's just that you you would be surprised how much it takes to put together like two to four pages of notes. It's it doesn't sound like much, but it does. It does take time. All right. Anyway, after all of that, Dad. 
<laughs> you ready for our story? I am ready for the story. Okay, so this time we're talking about Senator Paul Husting, and and maybe it's not Husting, maybe it's Husting. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm going to say Husting. And he was a senator from Wisconsin, obviously, because he's on this program. And um, some unfortunate things happened to him. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the conservation movement, uh, protecting our environment. And um, we'll talk a little bit about political differences 100 years ago. It's a few few different odds and ends. My, uh, my, my, um... My prediction for this episode is po- political differences a hundred years ago mm-hmm. are not that different than political differences today. That's my prediction for this. Episode. I don't think that's right. Actually, no, really, no, oh. I don't think so. Okay. <clears throat> so, uh, Paul Husting, our character this week, uh, was born 1866, a long time ago, in Fond du Lac. His father, John Husting. Came from Luxembourg. Uh, so uh, if anybody knows where Luxembourg is, it's kind of by Belgium and the Netherlands. Okay. I was going to say, is it Luxembourg the country? or Luxembourg is it- the country. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> His father was a skilled watchmaker and fluent in several languages. But you kind of have to be when, you know, you drive 50 miles and you're in a different country. <laughs> uh, Paul's mother was Mary Juno. And she was the daughter of Solomon Juno, who was the founder and first mayor of Milwaukee. Ooh. Yeah. Prestigious. Yes. I mean, by Wisconsin standards. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> As a child, Husting moved with his parents to Mayville, Wisconsin, uh, where he received a public school education. And then at the age of 17, he became a retail clerk in a general store, then a railway postal clerk. Then a mailing clerk in the state prison at Waupun, then an assistant bookkeeper in the office of Secretary of State under Thomas Jefferson Cunningham. Wow! Yeah, so that's sort of like an upwards progression in in jobs there, which is nice. Uh, yeah, in Mayville, if people don't know where Mayville is, which I don't know why you would, because there's no reason to know. <laughs> um, it's it's in Dodge County. It's uh, if you're taking uh, 41, it's kind of like by the, the Teresa exit. Teresa exit. Well, you might say it, no, it is Teresa. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All but right. I don't think, I don't think they say Teresa, the people who live there. Okay. Yeah. I never knew that was Teresa. And now maybe I'm wrong, but, <laughs> but I don't think they say Teresa there. Okay. So secretary of state that he's working under is Thomas Jefferson Cunningham. No reason you should ever have heard of him. But I thought, hey, let's learn something. <laughs> so I had on here, um, Cunningham had served in the assembly for a while, and he was the mayor of Chippewa Falls. Um, but he was best remembered because he was involved in the map drawing after the 1890 census. Now, here's the part where you're right, that politics 100 years ago <laughs> is the same as politics today. Because when you say map drawing, are you talking about like the... The not what do they call it? The jur- mapping the jurisdictions or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so. not I mean not literally drawing the map. The map is established, but drawing yeah the political boundaries. Trees, yeah, yeah. So Cunningham came in as part of the Democratic sweep uh, that went through all the statewide offices in 1890. So when it was time to redraw the maps, 
after the 1890 census, well, guess who runs the state politics? The Democrats do. So they're going to draw the maps. This is the first time the Democratic Party had had power in the state since before the Civil War. So they've been waiting like 40 years for this moment. <laughs> um, and this is a, and, and controversy ensued. So uh, the Democrats redrew the maps. The governor was like, yep, I like your map. He signs off on it. But throughout the process, Republicans were outraged at what they saw as partisan gerrymandering, which is like the exact same thing we hear today. <laughs> yeah, so far you're not convincing me that politics wasn't exactly the same yeah. back then as it is today. As Secretary of State, Cunningham was responsible for implementing the new maps. So he didn't really have much say in it. He just kind of signs off on it. But he went and he said, yep, okay, we're going to put the maps into place. and a lawsuit comes in, and the court decided that, yeah, these maps are not okay. These these maps are terrible. <laughs> and the courts agreed with the Republicans, and they struck down the maps. They said, these maps, and I don't know what the maps look like, so, I mean, and you could, I couldn't show you anyway, because it's just audio, but just Im imagine, <laughs> imagine an unfair map. <laughs> the, 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 court, the court writes that, one... The maps did not properly account for the population of the Native Americans, nor the members of the Army and Navy, who were not currently in the state at the time of the census. You didn't count everybody. Two, the districts did not closely adhere to county lines, meaning that, you know, whenever possible, try to keep thing, keep the counties together instead of, like, cutting little pieces out Sorry. of other counties, because <laughs> that just complicates things. They weren't all contiguous, which, if that means what I think it means, it means they made little islands in their map. <laughs> Not everything was leaving a solid block. They weren't all compact. And lastly, they weren't all convenient, which, whatever that means in this case. So, uh, they found five reasons that these maps were terrible. Uh, the legislature went back, redrew the maps. Uh, and again, these were struck down by the court. The maps are still terrible. <laughs> the third and final version of the maps were passed and accepted. It went into effect only 12 days before the 1892 election. <laughs> really? So you had 12 days to know what district you were even <laughs> voting in. <laughs> so, pretty bad. But again, even though um, Cunningham really, like, his only job is to implement this. Like, he's not drawing the maps by he's not the one doing it he's just putting them into effect this became known as the cunningham principle where these are the five rules you should follow when redrawing maps so his name got stuck with that and uh yeah as we've learned apparently even though we have very clearly laid out guidelines from the state supreme court we run into this problem every 10 years. <laughs> every time there's a census, someone's going to complain the maps aren't fair. So, yeah, that's yeah. And, and, uh, and I should point out, I mean, in recent years, you know, it's been people saying the Republicans are doing it wrong. And here it's saying the Democrats that's are doing right. it wrong. So it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's whatever party's it's, drawing it's the lines. It's whatever party's drawing <laughs> the, the lines. lines. It's it's not, <laughs> this is, this is not a one side thing. This is, this is a power thing. <laughs> Anyway, getting huge sidetrack, but I but I like these little bits of Wisconsin history, you know. Not enough of the politics, right? Yeah, enough of the politics. All right. So we get back to our guy, Paul Husting. Husting enters the University of Wisconsin Law School. He passes the state bar. 
He's admitted to the bar in 1895, so now he's an attorney. He initially practiced law in his hometown of Mayville, and then he joins up with his brother-in-law, C.W. Lamoureux, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but <laughs> the C.W. Lamoureux, uh, until that that guy is elected judge, and you know can't be a practicing attorney and a judge at the same time. Uh, so he then joins up with another brother, another Husting, who becomes an attorney. So it's Husting and brother. That's what they call the that's what they call their law firm. Uh, the Lamoureux family, uh, incidentally, comes up in my book that comes out next year. So. Uh, if you want to see a story about the Lamoureux family and one of the members getting stabbed, be sure to pick up my book that comes out in 2023. Uh, selfless plug there. Selfless plug, yeah. <laughs> All right. Husting, uh, you know, was interested in politics. He had, you know, worked in the state capitol, so he kind of got a taste of that. He was elected district attorney of Dodge County in 1902 and again in 1904. He was elected to the state Senate in 1906 and then again in 1910. In the state Senate, he advocated conservation of the state's natural resources. Uh, he, was a, he was a really big hunter and fisherman. It's, this was something like he's widely known for today. There's, there's conservation clubs named after him because he's just was that, that kind of guy. And I always, I always find that really interesting that like the hunting and fishing community are the people who are like the most pro conservation, you know, because like, if you're not in that, you might think like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you're the guys going out there, like shooting all the birds and catching all the fish, but they understand that if they want their grandchildren to be able to oh, go God. out there, you have to kind of make Take sure care of the land yeah, and make sure make, it stays around and make sure there's a place for them to go to hunt these animals and things like that. Yeah, right. Totally. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny that like the people who are going out and, and hunting ducks, deer and what have you are the reason that we have the forests that we have. Otherwise, who knows? Nicolay national forest could have been turned into whatever. <laughs> a highway ago. or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, Think these guys are like small heroes, you know. <laughs> uh, he wanted to establish a, a maximum rate for railroad prices, uh, which today doesn't really mean much. But at that time, apparently, you know, you could get gouged at how much it costs to ride, you know, passenger car. Uh, the big thing that he was in favor of was the direct election of the U.S. senators. And this, this I think is fascinating. I, see, I'm going to deviate a lot here today. <laughs> but... If people don't know this, I think this is really interesting, is that today when you go and you vote, you vote for your Congress people and you also vote for your senator, right? Okay. But up until 1913, you only voted for your congressperson. And what? The congressperson brought the senator? No. With? No, the state the state chose the senator. Like the the individuals had no control over that. The state government picked out who they wanted to be their senator. Interesting. Yeah. So, so like, the senator was basically, like, a political friend of somebody in the state government. What, do, you, do you have any idea who within the state chose it? Like, was it, was it the governor's job, or was it, like, the... I think it was, I think it was the state legislature that actually made that decision. But, yeah, but it, it made it so... I mean, traditionally, the senators were, like, the politically connected, wealthier people... And this is modeled after the English version of, because 
surprise, uh, American <laughs> politics are very heavily modeled after English politics. And in, in England, now, see, now we're going off the track. But, 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 but why, it, Gavin? But, it, but in England, <laughs> but in England, you know, they've got what they call the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Okay. And the House of Commons is like the people get to choose who represents them. And the House of Lords is basically their version of the Senate. And the House of Lords is inherited. When when you are in the House of Lords and you die, you your cho- child becomes oh, the Oh, next, really? Yeah, becomes the ne- So, like, there's still very much the the nobility in english politics um, interesting so so we we watered that down a little bit <laughs> to the senate and we're like no 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 you don't inherit it but we're still going to hand pick who we, we want. want so when did this change 1913 1913 okay. yeah interesting so that's pretty early on though i mean kind of i mean it's over 100 years yeah i suppose yeah so all right now Here's where he gets really known for his conservation, all right? In 1911, in 1911, Paul Husting wants to go duck hunting. And so what he does is he gets in his little duck hunting boat. He goes down uh, the river, and he goes into the Horicon Marsh. And he's hunting ducks. Well, apparently, he was hunting ducks in front of property owned by a private club. And, and the private club ends up suing him, saying, like, hey, this is our property. It's not cool. Get out of here. And he's like, no, I'm just going to stay here. You know, so a, a lawsuit happens. And this goes all the way through the court system. Like, this this drags on, um, partially probably because he is an attorney and he is part of the local government. Um, you know, the average person probably says, oh, I'll get off the land. Okay, I'll go. He's not going to stand for that. <laughs> um so they take it all the way up to courts. And this was a really big decision where the courts decided that all the way back to the very beginning of the country, it was absolutely crucial that the waterways are public. Right. So if he had gotten out of the boat, standed in their yard and shot at ducks, that's a big no-no. But if he got in the river, sailed in the Horicon Marsh, and it just happens to be in front of their property, too bad. The, and that's how I would understand it, too, because I believe that's the way it technically still is today. It is definitely still that way. Yeah. yeah. It's – it's you really cannot own water. Right. Yeah. So this was, a, this was a big decision to really make that firm that if you bought waterside property, I mean, you got some rights. Like, obviously, you can put a dock out there and stuff like that. But if somebody's out there in a boat in in a lake that you're in front of, Leave them alone. Yeah. I mean, it's their right to be there. Right. Yeah. So that was a big deal that that was actually put firmly in the law. Um, it gave a lot more rights to hunters and fishermen as people were buying up all this nice waterfront property. Um, Husting, who had been pushing for popular vote, people being able to elect the senators themselves rather than have them be appointed, was actually the first senator from Wisconsin to be elected by the people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he pushed for that. He got what he wanted, and then they elected him. <laughs> so he, up to that point, any any Wisconsin senator was appointed, but he was actually elected in by the people. So good job. Uh, he actually defeated a former governor. So that's a, that's a pretty good feat on top of that. He succeeded Isaac Stevenson who had previously held the job. And Isaac Stevenson was a big deal. Like this, like I said, this is like how politically connected 
senators were before this point. Not that senators aren't politically connected now, but prior to this point, like if you're ever up in like the Marinette up to like the lower UP area, like you'll find things named Stevenson all over the damn place because this guy like had businesses and property everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm curious about the, the electing the state senators. Yeah. That would be well, not the state senators, or I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. but the senators for each state. Yes, that would have to be changed by the federal government, correctly, correct? Yeah, yeah. It, it, so it, it, was, it was a constitutional he, thing. Yes. Yeah. So he was just working, pushing for that, like, yeah. To, for there the was not, there government. was nothing he could do as far as passing a law. He had to actually push for a constitutional change. Okay, I yeah. didn't know if, like, for some reason, the states made that rule and then. Slowly, each state changed it one by no. one, and today everybody just does it that way. No, but. it was it was a U.S. Constitution thing, so it just flipped over uh, nationwide. Okay, all right. Also, Husting was a Democrat, and he still won at a time when the state was again very heavily Republican. So he's quite a popular guy. Yeah, Wisconsin traditionally had been very heavily Republican. Um, as I had kind of alluded to earlier, that they had held it for a very long time um, prior to that 1890 sweep. And it, it's interesting is that I look into this a little bit. And one of the reasons that Wisconsin had been traditionally very heavily Republican, um, and I'm sure many people know this, but if you don't, um, Wisconsin is the birthplace of the Republican Party. Okay. It was started in Ripon, Wisconsin. So it's got that big founding the Civil War plays a part in it because in the Civil War, uh, the Republicans were the very pro-Lincoln people. So, you know, you kind of were pushed to be in the Republican <laughs> Party or or it sounded like you were against the – so that helped. But then – so I look at this and I'm like, okay, between 1856, so just before the Civil War, in 1928, it's a long time, it's like 70 years, Wisconsin voted for the Republican presidential candidate – Pretty much every single time except two. Okay. So for 70, 70 years, Republicans won the state of Wisconsin. Um, between 1932 and 1972, so for that 40-year gap, it was very mixed, and it kind of went back and forth. Okay. Since 1972, it's been heavily Democratic. Really? Yes. With the exception of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Both George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr., George W. Bush, did not win in Wisconsin. So, so it's been a it's been a long kind of a shift, and then it, then it went back again, and and uh, Donald Trump won Wisconsin, and then Joe Biden won Wisconsin. So, you know, it's a it's it's still kind of mixed, but it doesn't have that long trend that it used, it used to, to have. have. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of neat to see like this really long term. Why? And of course, uh, being one thing or the other doesn't mean the same thing it meant in, right. in the 1850s. Like the issues are so completely different. But yeah, well, and also if I'm not like back in like the 1800s, wasn't kind of like what we view as a Democrat. Wasn't that what a Republican was back then, or, to, to or some, something like they kind of flipped to at some, some point? To some point, there there was kind of a flip in there. I mean, there's if you this we're gonna go off again <laughs> people are gonna love this episode yeah like even if you look not that far back like if you look at um dwight eisenhower who was the who was the president in the 18 not the 18 1950s some of the things that he pushed for 
you would not associate with the Republican Party. I mean, like, probably the biggest thing he's remembered for today is creating the interstate system. And, you know, and now, like, the, the big Republican thing is, you know, smaller government, lower taxes. Right. And-, and, and he's like, we're going to build a million miles of roads. <laughs> um, so it's completely, like, unrecognizable. So... After he was, uh, after Husting was made a senator, uh, he was the chairman of fisheries, which I'm sure was a very <laughs> cool position to have. And he was in favor of entering World War One, and that was actually a very controversial yeah. stance. Uh, obviously, I think everybody knows that we did enter World War One, but that was really not cool in Wisconsin of all places because Wisconsin at that time, as today, was very heavily German. Um, and at that point, I mean, this is the 19-teens, at that point in time, I mean, German was German. Now, you know, most people have some German in them, but at that point in time, you still had family members who spoke, spoke German, German at home and things like that. So, you know, so they saw Germany as extended family or, you know, at least culturally connected. Mm-hmm. So, like, we don't want to go to we war with them. That. But Husting pushed for it, and uh, he was opposed by the other senator at the time, who was Robert LaFollette, the much better-remembered senator. And LaFollette was like, no, we can't, because we're all German people here, and that's not okay. But Husting said, this war is not a war against Germany. It is a war in favor of democracy and freedom, which I guess, Eric, you're right again. Look at that. Well it sounds, played, right? It sounds, <laughs> sounds just like how a politician would sell something today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if, you like, if you like democracy and freedom, you got to vote for this war. Oh, man. You, I guess I didn't realize. You, you really nailed it. <laughs> so there was, a, there was some debate on that. Of course, ultimately, you know, we entered the war. And... What was kind of interesting, what came out of that was uh, an act called the Espionage Act of 1917, which today we largely use to like prosecute hackers who leak very sensitive information. But at that time, it was like it wasn't as clearly defined yet. So a number of people who had been pushing to not go into war, if they didn't stop doing that after we entered the war, they were seen as treasonous. Really? Yeah. So there were people who ended up going to prison. There were actually sitting congressmen who went to prison because they continued to argue against the war after the U.S. entered it. So, like, you can't do that or you're seen as anti-American, and they locked you up. up. Wow. Today today that you can do it. (laughs) You can do it all Today you can protest wars all you want. The other thing I think that's really funny about that part of it is, is really – we're prosecuting computer hackers under a law that came, was written in 1917. Yeah, that that's weird, right? <laughs> like, well, it's it's a different sort of thing because here the idea is if you're actively saying this war is a bad idea while you know uh, American boys are out there fighting in it, you are being treasonous. You are mm. against the the national government. And today it's similar with the hack, like not all hackers, but the hackers who are like releasing national security documents. It's the same sort of a concept. 
Okay. It's the I modern mean, version of it, but yeah. it's but it's like if you're if you're like releasing information explaining where the troops are mobilized or or what techniques we have to intercept communications that other governments aren't supposed to know about. You're being it's the modern yeah. version. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's still funny to think though that a computer crime is prosecuted under a hundred year old law or whatever. Right. I mean, right. It's kind of I'm humorous. sure there's been many amendments since then. <laughs> then so so. Uh, I'm by no means an expert <laughs> on the espionage laws, but okay. So up to this point, uh, you might think to yourself, hey, uh, when's this guy going to get killed? Yeah. You know, you think, you're thinking, I thought this was murder and mayhem. What's going on here? You've tricked me. You've tricked me into talking about Wisconsin politics. Yes. So. <laughs> well, if anything we've accomplished from this episode, though, is is that you went into this episode thinking, American politics weren't wasn't exactly the same in a hundred years ago, and now you're convinced that it is. Yeah, so. you did. You did kind of get me there. I mean, I so my the reason I say it's not is just because the issues are so completely different, right? But you know, I guess we did come across a lot of parallels there. <laughs> but yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> And of course, I I didn't write a date, so hey, <laughs> so we don't know when this happens. I think it's 1918. It still is like the war is the World War One is winding down, so it's it's probably 1918. He is duck hunting as he likes to do, out with his brother Gustav, which is a, a nice, nice name. name. Yes, yeah, Th- that's what I was thinking too, actually. Yeah, um, and Gustav. Uh, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to do a callback because Gustav Husting was the defense attorney who represented Alex Greeno when Greeno stabbed his son. Really? Which you may remember from a recent episode. That was a very recent episode, too. Yeah. So look at that. <laughs> Tied it back. <laughs> uh, so now we have a we have a Kakana connection because Gustav Husting was uh, <laughs> was in the Kakana area defending a, a Greeno family member. But anyway, so these two brothers are out. Um, they're duck hunting in on Rush Lake, which is near Pickett, Wisconsin. And again, no reason you should know where Rush Lake or Pickett, Wisconsin is. But Pickett is kind of, I, I believe, if you know, correct me, but I believe it's like between Oshkosh and Ripon. No idea. So okay. I, can't. I think that's where it yeah. is. I think it's a little small, like, unincorporated place you drive through between there. But... Um, all right, so here's what happens. Paul Paul Husting is is ducked down in the boat. No pun intended on the ducking. Um, <laughs> he's he's down he's down there. He says, Psh, rustles up the the weeds or whatever. The ducks fly out. He tells his brother to fire, and in a foolish moment, he stands up too quickly, and he takes the shotgun blast. Pretty much point blank because you know it's not that big of a boat. So um, his brother shoots him in the back, and he dies right there in the boat. Now he dies on a boat, huh? Yeah. Now I mean, if I was a conspiracy theorist, which I'm not, um, I mean, I could say, well, what do we know? I mean, maybe the brother just killed him on purpose and then made <laughs> up this whole story. But but nobody ever said that. We pretty much all accept the fact that. Um, this was a duck hunting accident, so dies right there on the boat. Now, technically, he didn't die there on the boat. He he fell into a coma, but he died 
pretty shortly oh, thereafter. Okay. By the time they got him to the hospital, he was dead. So, so, so it was just a freak accident, really. Yep. Well, all, all, all the buildup to the story and the murder itself just really isn't that exciting. No, it's not. <laughs> no, not at all. But I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity to see because. Because, you know, we've been kind of like twisting this into like a history podcast. Yes, so. and I do like the history around this this uh, this this story. I think that you, it brought up a lot of really cool points. And I yeah. do, ha- I can tell you now. So where did you say you thought Pickett was? I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's between Oshkosh and Ripon on like whatever that. Yes, you are, right. you are absolutely right. Okay. It is on Highway 44. Yeah, 44. Like, literally almost in the middle between Oshkosh and Ripon. Okay. So. Cool. So you were right there. Thank you, Magic Google machine. <laughs> All right. So after he dies, the New York Times writes a really nice article about him. Um, says he was a very aggressive leader. Um, he was a big supporter of the loyalist uh, part of Congress. And when they say loyalist, they mean the people who were like the pro-war supporters of President Wilson at the time. They contrasted him with Senator La Follette, who the New York Times was not a big fan of and called La Follette a part of the pro-German uh, faction. So uh, Senator La Follette, like today, is like a huge, huge, like national yeah. hero. Again, you know, hey, there's another Kakana connection. You realize. Oh, yeah. Because we got a park. We got a park named after him in Kakana. Well, is that. Is he? But he's not from no, Kakana. No, or anything, he's not from right? Kakana at all. Okay, but he was just such a respected senator at the time that they named. Well, and he was governor at one point too, so they they named the park after him. So, and was he just considered pro-German or whatever because he was not in support of going into World War One? That's that basically basically, basically the reason. Yeah. I, I was really convinced that you were going to go off on this story that this guy was going to have gotten killed. No. Because somebody was upset at him for for wanting to go into World War One. You'd think that, right? But no. But I fooled you. Yeah. <laughs> I fooled you into thinking something bad was going to happen. But, I mean, something bad did happen, but, you know. Um, Husting's death was of some political importance. In 1919, uh, the Senate would have been under Democratic control if he was still in office, but because he was dead, he was succeeded by a Republican. And as a consequence, the 1919 Senate had 49 Republicans and 47 Democrats. So the Republicans had a small majority. And if you're saying, wait, that doesn't add up to 100 well, no, it doesn't, because we didn't have 50 states yet. <laughs> so there's that. Um, in February and March 1919, the House and the Senate held a number of memorial speeches for Husting, um, and the speeches were organized and led by Robert La Follette, who was the other Wisconsin senator, but was pretty much the political opposite. Uh, and he gave... Nicest speech. I mean, I read it. It's very nice. Um, he spoke in glowing terms. He said, I didn't always agree with him, but he had strong convictions. He believed in his convictions. He followed through. He was honest. And even uh, the Republican senator who followed him into office made a speech that was very highly supportive. And I thought that was really neat. I thought that was really neat that these these two guys who, I mean, there were other people who made really nice speeches, but these two guys who were like, constantly fighting with him 
went out of their way to say nice things about him after he was gone. And I thought thought that was cool. And I don't know if, if we'd see that repeated. Today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I guess it all depends. Well. It, de- it, it depends on who. Death is a weird thing, you know? Like, yeah. death makes makes a lot of people, brings a lot of people out and to say nice things about people they wouldn't normally say nice things about. I'm curious, since we did kind of go into so much history on this. Yeah. Because I don't actually know this. Do you know what is Robert LaFollette so famous for? What did he do? So, Robert LaFollette, he did a few things, but what he got notable for is there were two primary political parties. Uh, can you guess what they were? Democrats and Republicans? You would be correct. <laughs> okay. And what he did is he kind of broke off and made his own uh, political party called the Progressives. And it really took off. So he was like the leader of that group. And it was big in Wisconsin, but it spread it spread pretty far. Like President uh, Teddy Roosevelt was like a big believer. I don't think he ever actually ran under the progressive flag or whatever, whatever. but but he was a he was very strongly connected to that group. They they kind of changed the way that people thought about it. And actually that's one thing that um, Husting and, and LaFollette strongly agreed upon is the progressives pushed for the uh, the popular vote of the senators. So that was something that they agreed on. But yeah, the the progressive movement was a huge, huge force in the 19-teens and 1920s in Wisconsin, um, both for good or bad. They, they wanted to give the individual people more power, but they also had some unintended bad outcomes um, where they wanted to clean things up and that therefore gave a lot of support to like the prohibition movement um, and, uh, and gave rise to like the Ku Klux Klan in Wisconsin, things that they had not intended. Right. Happened because of things that they were doing basically. Right. I mean, they were in favor of prohibition, but they didn't realize that there would be such negative outcomes because of it. I, I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that prohibition was a pretty failed part of a, of American, you know, history, American history. The the idea was good. The idea was, oh, alcohol is is a serious problem in this country. We should get rid of it. Uh, that was probably a good idea, but obviously it doesn't work. <laughs> so. Or their approach to making it work didn't work very well. Right. So right, you you don't get rid of people's wanting to have a drink. You just get them getting a drink in far more questionable ways. <laughs> yes. So it didn't didn't go the way they had planned. Cool. Well, is there any more to the story? I, I no, think that was pretty it. much it. That I mean, was it. I don't really have a whole lot of questions because there wasn't a whole lot of, to the murder itself. Unfortunately, no, no, it's but, it's one sentence. All that you, you, you guys waited. You got for, shot on a boat. You waited for forty five <laughs> minutes for a murder story, and you got a guy shot in a boating accident, but, a hunting accident. But you learned something in the yeah. process. So yeah, look at that. Now you're next time you're at your cocktail party, you can be like, did you know that? Senators didn't used to be elected? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people would be like, really? <laughs> so yeah, take take that one when next time you're out and about <laughs> trying to impress your friends. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, then we will wrap this episode up. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. And again, thanks, everybody, for the continued support. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I, should, I should note the next episode is a murder. 
Okay. It's a real one. It, it's it's a, a real murder. It's, it's not a, a guy getting shot in a It's bowl. a real murder. I've already got the notes together for it. I promise <laughs> okay. you it's a real murder. Okay. All right. Real murder next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem. <laughs>